We are still in our DNA series. We will eventually end this DNA series, but um, the Lord extended it an extra week. Um, And so uh, I'm going to be preaching a Mother's Day message next week. So for Mother's Day, my wife, I was not going to preach a Mother's Day message, and um, I was going to replace it with the last DNA message, but she looked at me kind of funny and said, aww. So I'm going to preach a Mother's Day message this next Sunday, but then the week after that will be the final message in the DNA series. But this message in our DNA series, and again, for those of you who may be new, uh, this is your first time. First of all, thank you for being here. We are so glad that you are here on Sunday morning at Living Word Church. Uh, So if you're new here or you need to get caught up with what's going on, the DNA series is about the DNA of of our church. It's about who we are as a church. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to be able to communicate all of the, on on all of the subjects that have been focused on for the last 38 years. And I I picked, we picked as a staff the, the, what what we would call the, the main eight or nine subjects that have been a part of the DNA of this church. And I wanted you to hear my heart on those subjects. And so this is just a re- it's meant to be a reflection of the direction that we're going as a church. And this message right here is a real central message to who we are as as a church. And so the title of my message this morning is a house of prayer, a house of prayer. And I have a pastor friend in town, Josh Josh Melanson, who pastors House of Prayer Church. And as I was making my notes this week, I, I took a picture of the title of my message, A House of Prayer, and I sent it to him. And I said, uh, look at what I'm titling my message this morning. And so he encouraged me and he said, it's going to be a winner. Uh, because his church is called House of Prayer. And, uh, but this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about prayer. And if there's going to be anything that a church would say is a part of their DNA, prayer would need to be, it must be an integral part of the DNA of our church. If we are a prayerless church, we are in trouble. If we are a church, if we ever are tempted to become a people as individuals or a church corporately where we ignore or reject our, our, our need to pray, we are in trouble. And prayer does a lot of things in our life, and we're going to get into what prayer does and why we pray. But before we do that, I just want to read a scripture in Matthew 21, 12 through 13. It says this, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And what was going on there in Matthew 21 was that there were people that were selling pigeons and, and animals to be sacrificed in the, old, in, in, in the temple. And during the, during the time of the year when, when sacrifice would happen, these Jews would come in and they would, they would uh, change money. So you'd have people coming, Jews coming from, from other parts of the, of the world that would come to Jerusalem to sacrifice in the temple for the sins of their people. And they had different currencies that they would use. And only certain currency could be used uh, uh, in Jerusalem to, to, to purchase animals to sacrifice. And these Jewish people were taking advantage of and extorting their own people by exchanging money and by driving up the, the, the exchange rate to pocket the rest. And so they had turned the temple of God into a way to, to steal from God's people. And so this is what Jesus, he, this is what made him angry, and he overturned the money changers' tables. And listen to what he says. He said to them, verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so if there's anything that should describe any church, every church, 
Our church should be described as a place of prayer, a house of prayer. We, Living Word Church should be a house of prayer where it is known that we are praying people. We seek after God in prayer. That is a part of our heart. That is a part of our DNA. And, and God forbid that we ever get to the place where we feel like we do not need to seek God in prayer. And I have been so humbled and overwhelmed at our first Wednesday prayer gatherings. We've had two of them. And it's been so wonderful. Such a sweet sense of God's presence. I believe that God's presence, his blessing comes down on his people when we gather together in unity. Not only here on Sundays, but when we gather together in unity to pray, to seek his face. And this Wednesday we prayed for lost loved ones, friends and family members, co-workers that, that don't know the Lord, have not come to a relationship with Jesus. We've, we spent an hour praying for our friends and our family. And it was a wonderful time. And so we, 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 we will prioritize prayer. But I, I believe that we struggle with prayer. From, from me all the way down, all of us, all of us, we struggle with prayer. We struggle with prayer. We know we need to pray. We know we need to prioritize prayer. We know it should be important. But, but for whatever reason, I think if we could all agree, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because of the business of our lives. It's a struggle because we have so many things going on. We have multiple kids. We have multiple things we're trying to get done during our day, during our week. And so it's difficult. A second reason why I believe we struggle with prayer is because the enemy of our soul, Satan, knows the power of prayer. He knows that prayer is powerful. He knows that when God's people seek him in prayer... That God moves in powerful ways. And so he does what he can do to try to encourage us, to try to to distract us from praying. And so what I want to do this morning, I I was going to go a different route with the message and and the Lord changed my plans on Friday morning. I woke up Friday morning and the message I had been preparing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I was like, I can't preach that message. That's not going to work. I got to do something different. And so this is a Friday Saturday, Lord help me, what do I need to say, message. This is a fresh word from the Lord about prayer. So what we're going to do is around prayer. What we're going to do when we talk about prayer is I want to answer the question, why? Why pray? Why prayer? Because some people say, hey, prayer doesn't work. I prayed, I've sought the Lord about this situation, that situation, and prayer doesn't work. And so they give up on prayer. It's easy to just to give up on prayer. And just to not let that be a discipline of of our life. But I want to give us four reasons why we should pray. Four reasons. Why should we prioritize prayer as individuals and as a church? Why should we do that? Number one, because God's word tells us to pray. Amen? If God's word tells you to do something, right? Because... We believe, now if we don't believe that God's word is divinely inspired, if we don't believe that every word is breathed out from God himself, if we just believe that this is like Webster's Dictionary, or we just believe like this is any other book, you buy a book's a million, if we just believe it's like a normal book, then it really doesn't matter what it says. We can do what we want. But that is not what we believe about this book. That's not what is true of this book. This book is divinely inspired. It's God-breathed. And anything that, that God says through his word, we need to respond. And we need to obey. And it is unmistakably clear that in scripture, God tells us that we should pray. That we should seek him in prayer. And I just want to read some scriptures that describe that to us. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. Before we, get, before we read that, that section of scripture, 
And what Paul is saying here in Romans 12, he's describing the life of a, of a believer. The first 11 chapters in Romans, he's describing the gospel and the mercies of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel and how someone can come to faith in Jesus. And then in verse 12, he says, I, I beseech you therefore, brothers, that you present your lives as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the, Romans 12, 1. And so as you go further into Romans 12, it is a description of the life of a believer that's been transformed by the gospel. And let's see what the life of a, of a believer looks like. Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And what? Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Remind you of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So many of you want to know what God's will is for your life. You're seeking to know, God, what is your will? What have you called me to do? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 tells you, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's God's will. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means that you never leave a posture or a position of prayer. It doesn't mean that you go to work and you don't do your job and you tell your boss, hey, God told me I got to pray without ceasing so I can't cut that wood or I can't turn that screwdriver or I can't do my job because I got to pray without ceasing. It's not what that means. What it means is, is that you live continually in a posture of prayer. Any and every circumstance you face that comes across your path, your first response is to pray. Your first response is to turn and say, God, I, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to, how, how to handle this or what I, how I should approach this. It's a posture. It's a position of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, in every situation, in every time, in every moment, in all circumstances, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Scripture is abundantly clear. It makes abundantly clear, the Lord does in Scripture, that we should pray. Jesus modeled prayer. So if you just want to look at Jesus' life, there were, if you go through the Gospels in Jesus' life, you read over and over again, he would separate himself, go on top of the mountain. Or Scripture would say go to a, he would go to a solitary place and he would seek the Lord in prayer. He would seek. He was constantly seeking the Lord in prayer. You know, Jesus said they would only do and say the things he heard his Father say and do. That means he was connected to the heart of the Father in prayer. He was constantly praying and communing with the Father. And he modeled valuing prayer. And in one of the parables that he told, he told a parable about a persistent widow. And this widow, in this parable, she had been, she had been taken advantage of by somebody. And so she goes, the, the, the parable goes, that she goes to, to the judge and pleads her case to the judge that this person has taken advantage of the fact that she has no man to defend her. 
And it says that she wouldn't leave the judge alone. She was persistent over and over and over again to knock on his door to bother him. And actually the judge at one point in the parable, Jesus says, the judge says, okay, she's bothering me. And to stop her from bothering me, I'm going to listen to hear her case. And listen to what Jesus says as he told this parable. This is the first verse before he tells the parable, Luke 18, 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. God's word tells us to pray. Jesus modeled prayer. Jesus encouraged prayer. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was in the garden, he was about, he was moments away, hours away from being crucified, hours away from being whipped and scourged and crucified for us, hours away from the greatest torment he was ever going to experience. He's in the garden and he's with his disciples and he says, watch with me and pray. Wait a little while with me and pray. And he says, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray and you watch and pray. And what did the disciples do like we do? We're all disciples like those disciples. We fall asleep because prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. And they slept. And Jesus, where did Jesus go? Jesus went and he knelt before the Father and he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And he said, one of the most powerful things you can ever say in prayer. This is one of the most powerful things you can ever say. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He modeled prayer. And then he gave us the the model prayer. Matthew 6, he goes in his Sermon on the Mount, begins to communicate to the people that were following him, and he's comparing and contrasting. He's looking at the religious Pharisees of his day, and he's saying, don't be like them. Don't live like them. Don't pray like them. Don't act like them, because they're hypocrites. They are only concerned about the outside. And he tells them, he tells them, two things that you should not do. He said, you should not pray like the hypocrites who go and they want to be seen. They go to the busiest street corner, in Jerusalem, with the greatest amount of horse buggy traffic. Without another horse buggies back in Jesus' day, but the greatest amount of traffic. And they pray so that they can be seen. He says, don't pray like that. And then he says to another group, he says, don't be like the Gentiles because they think that they're going to be heard by their many words. And they're just praying these repetitious prayers that are meaningless prayers. They're praying them because they've been taught them and there's no heart in their prayer. They are meaningless prayers. Prayers that you recite that have no meaning, have no value in your life. And Jesus turns. Not only did he model prayer, but he gave the skeleton model of all prayer. And one one day, I'll teach on this in probably about an eight-week series. (laughs) So much right here. And this is what I was preparing. And you can thank the Lord that I didn't preach this message this morning. (laughs) Matthew 6, 9 through 13, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the model prayer. All of our prayers we can take through this filter and I got to get away from the scripture because I'm going to preach it. So here we go. So he gave the model prayer. So why should we prioritize prayer as individuals and as a church? Because God's word clearly tells us that we should. That's why. Number one, God's word tells us that we should pray. Number two, why should we prioritize prayer? 
Because prayer communicates our dependence on the Lord. Prayer communicates our dependence on the Lord. We are dependent on God. It is a fearful place in your life if you get to the place where you feel like you don't need God. If you feel like that you can do life on your own, it's a a dangerous place. You know, we have a get her done mindset in America. And I'm all about getting her done. Get the job done. But it is a curse to us as children of God. It is important to do your job. Do it well. Do it with excellence. Get it done. But you know that get her done spirit that you have, that energy that you have, that very life that you have to do the work God's called you to get done, you would not have that very breath if it was not for the Lord. He gives you the life that you have. He gives you the position you have, the job you have, the influence you have. He gives you the skills you have, the intellect you have, everything you have, every good thing in your life that God gives you to prosper and to to succeed in life comes from him. And prayer, what prayer does is prayer communicates to the Lord and it reminds us, we communi- when we pray, we're not only communicating to God, but we are reminding ourselves in prayer that we are desperately dependent on the Lord for everything in our life. Do you believe that? I, I need help believing that. We need to believe that. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on the Lord. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on the Lord. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from the Lord. That's what that is. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from the Lord. We say, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. If we don't pray, we're saying, God, I don't need you. Prayer communicates a heart that is desperate for the Lord's intervention. In this type of get-or-done environment, it is easy for us to forget how much we are completely dependent on the Lord. I want to read a section of scripture to you. Not many of you probably study on a daily basis the book of Job. Who's currently studying in Job? (laughs) Anybody? Not a single person is studying in Job. I wasn't either. (laughs) So, but I want to read something in Job. Some people may think it's Job, uh, but it's Job. And Job went through some difficulties in his life. Difficulties that not many of us have ever experienced, probably will never experience. And he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of worries and frustrations and fears and he was struggling internally and he had some terrible friends on top of that were that were telling him that that it was his fault and God was cursing him then he had this wife that looked at him in the midst of his pain and his suffering he lost his kids and his health and his wealth and lost it all and his wife looks at him and says Job curse God and die wives that is not a good idea that is not marriage 101 when your husband is struggling, he doesn't need to curse God and die. He needs you to be a strength and a support and to remind him of the truth that he can find strength through prayer. Amen? But I want you to hear. You get this long dialogue for, for like 37 chapters of Job talking and Job worrying and Job going over in his head all these things that are going on. You got all this talk from his friends. And, and so there's just all this mess. And then God says, all right, Job, I'm going to talk to you. You have questions? I want to demonstrate to you how dependent you really are. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Lord's talking to Job. This is to Job. I will, he says, dress, dress for action like a man. 
You know, if God says that to you, man, I mean, come on. I mean, you're in trouble when God starts talking to you like that. Matt, that, that's a Matt Carnes verse right there. Dress for action like a man. You can't dress like a man great enough for God, right? Like, my goodness, this is serious. I will question you, and you make it known to me, Job. Where, are, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Surely you do. Or who stretched the line upon it and said, you can't go any longer? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? That's an amazing picture. The Lord commands it to rain. Can you do that, Job? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the ravens its prey when its young ones cry to God for help or wander about for lack of food? What was the Lord communicating to Job? He was saying, without me, you're nothing. Without me, Job, you're nothing. And that's what God's communicating to us this morning. Without me, God is telling us, we're nothing. We're nothing. Without my power, you would not even exist. So it's important, how do we respond with that knowledge? How do we respond with with that knowledge? How did Job respond? Job 42. Now Job's going to dare talk. And look, this is just, I just read a few verses. This is a couple chapters, lots of verses, God's putting Job in his place, letting him know who he is. Look what Job says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's a repentant prayer. That's a humble prayer. That's a prayer of dependence. And prayer communicates dependence to the Lord. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride produces opposition from God. Pride produces opposition from God. But humility is the pathway to grace. Pride produces opposition from God, but humility, when we declare to the Lord, God, I can't change my circumstance. I can't get out of this. I don't know how to handle this diagnosis. I don't know how to handle my lack of money and finance. I don't know what to do about my kids. God, I don't know what to do, but I know what I am going to do. I'm going to surrender to you. I am completely dependent on you. It's humility. This is why we must pray. This is why we pray. This is why prayer is important. First of all, because God's word says we should. And secondly, because it communicates dependence on the Lord. That's why we should prioritize prayer. Because the Lord, because our prayer to the Lord is our declaration of dependence on him. That's what prayer is. Leads us to the third reason why we should pray. Because life is hard. 
and the devil is real. Life is hard and the devil is real and you better believe it. That's why we pray. You know, I, I love this quote about John Piper. He says this, you will not know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. You will not know what prayer is for or why you're praying until you know that life is war. Life is a battle. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is full of challenges and trials. Because we live in a world that is broken because of sin, life is hard. Accidents happen. People, people will abuse others. They will take advantage of others. Children suffer. People get sick. Tragedies happen. Life is hard and there's lots of questions and things that we don't understand. Life is difficult. And if you look at the book of Romans, I want to read this section in Romans 8. And this is, paints us a picture of what it feels like for us as human beings living in a broken world. Let's read Romans 8, 19 through 26. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, this is speaking about the fall and what has happened because of the fall. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam and Eve, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Paul is saying here in Romans that the earth itself is longing to be redeemed. The earth is under a curse itself. That's why we have hurricanes, tornadoes. That's why the earth shakes and quakes. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Listen to this. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And when I read, when I read that, when, every time I read that, I, that is such a great picture. We groan inwardly. Have you ever been in a situation that made you groan inwardly? You guys ever been there? You groan inwardly. You don't have an answer. You don't know why. It's, it's that, that, those words are a, a reflection of a heart that recognizes that life is hard and the devil is real and these challenges are overwhelming and there's this groaning, God, I need redemption. I need, I I long to be in heaven where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more sin, there's no more trial, there's no more tears. It's an inward groaning. Now listen to this. Verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. The hope that This life will be done one day and and those that know Jesus have placed their hope in him for salvation will be in heaven with him forever. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's this patient waiting on the Lord for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 26, likewise, likewise. Listen, this is so powerful. Listen to this, catch it. You're groaning because you want redemption from this hard life. You want relief from this life. Listen to this. You're not alone. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer who who indwells you helps you in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. You ever been there? You got the inward groaning. You don't know what you can, what you should do, what you should pray. God, I have no words. It's just hard. The Spirit on the inside of you. Listen to what the Word says that the Spirit does for us as believers. The Spirit Himself 
intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That's powerful. The Holy Spirit himself is interceding for you, groaning for you. It shows you the picture, the desperation of prayer. And that is why we need to pray because life is hard and the devil is real and we will experience challenges and we need to be encouraged that that not only can we pray and seek the Lord in our trials, but the Spirit himself is praying for us. As I've mentioned earlier, we, we also have an adversary. Not only is life hard, but we have an adversary. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. That means don't be ignorant. You know, some people don't want to believe in the devil. It's easier to believe in angels and I'll believe in a God. I'll believe in, in all these, these heavenly things. But the devil, no, he, the, the devil can't be real. Pitchfork, tail. The devil is real. The devil is real. And this is what Peter tells us, be sober-minded, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know what I believe Satan's number one strategy is in the life of a Christian? I believe that the number one strategy of Satan against us is that he would get us to cease from seeing the beauty of Christ. And if he can get us to quit seeing the beauty of Christ, and he can distract us from the beauty of who he is and his majesty and his glory, and he can get us to look at earthly things, then he has us exactly where he wants us. If, if he can steal our affections, that's what he's trying to do in our life. He's trying to, he's trying to steal our affections for Christ and to divert them to other things, to earthly things. We have to stand fast, resist the plans of the enemy. Life is hard. That's why, that's why we pray. The devil is real. That's why we pray. We are in a war. And if you don't think you're in a war, just wait a little while. Just wait a little while. It's coming. And you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to depend on the Lord. So why should we prioritize prayer as individuals and as a church? Because life is hard and the devil is real. Lastly, here's a reason why we should pray. The last reason why. Not the last reason, but the last one for this message. Because God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. Amen? The devil's real. Life is hard. But God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. That is why we pray. When we pray, we are connecting our lives and our situations to the limitless power of God. Do you get that? I don't, I don't think I get it. We, we, we don't get this. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we are connecting our situations and our trials and our struggles to the limitless power of God. God is not limited to time and space. God is not limited to human thinking. When we take our circumstances that we are inwardly groaning about, and we don't know what to do, we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to say, if we just come and we surrender, we humbly come in prayer before him, we declare our dependence and we say, Lord, I don't know what to do. What we do when we do that is we are connecting our situations to the limitless power of God. When we fail... To bring our request to God, we are choosing to try and handle it on our own. 
Power in prayer is not centered around our ability to make things happen. But power in prayer is centered around us surrendering our will to God's will. And this is what you have to do in circumstances you have no answers for. This is what you have to do in situations you don't have a solution for. You have to learn to surrender what you want in that situation to what God wants. That's what Jesus did. He modeled that for us. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Jesus demonstrated that for us. God's power is released through our submission to his will. And when we will submit to his will, God can do more in five seconds than we could ever do in five years. It has to be a submission. So often, we can be tempted to think that God is not faithful to answer our prayers. But I think so often it's because we already think we know what we want God to do. And we turn prayer into something that it's not. Prayer is not us telling God what to do. It's not prayer. That's something else, but it's not prayer. Prayer is not saying, God, do this, and you do that, and, and you do. God's not our servant. We are slaves of Christ. We are servants of the living God. Prayer is a petition. Prayer is a humble surrender and saying, God, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with my understanding. I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. This is too hard. And when we get to that place, and we say, not my will, but your will be done, power can be released. Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says this. This is right before the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, where they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Listen to this. This is so key. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is why prayer is not telling God what to do. This is why prayer is surrender of my will for his will. Let's think about it for a second. You know, those of us who have kids, how many of you have ever had your child come up to you and say, I'd really like for you to do this for me, or I would really like for you to give me this. And you know as a parent, as a father or as a mother, you know they're not ready for that. I can't give that to them. And why, why is it that we see that? Because we know more. We know that if we let our child, you know, if it's up to Reagan, Reagan would get on her bike and she, we live in Summerfield and she would drive down San Antonio Boulevard by herself to the Summerfield Park. She would do it. And those of you who know Reagan, have been to my house and seen her, she would. And yesterday, she wanted to go to the park. Daddy, take me to the park, take me to the park. And she said, I want to ride my bike. I said, no, you're going to ride on daddy's bike. And I put her on the back of the little car seat on the bike and we went but if I'd have let her, if I'd have told her, Reagan, you can go, I'll see you in a, in, 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 in a half hour. She would have got on her bike, drove down the driveway, and went all the way there. But what do I know that she doesn't know? Is that she's this small. And somebody's going to possibly run over her. Or then they might call, call Child Protective Services <laughs> and come and get her. Right? That's what we have to understand about prayer. Prayer is not us going to an all-knowing God and say, God, I got it. I know what you need to do. You need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to touch this situation and change this because I know this is the right way. God, do it. Do it because I know that's what you should do. And I know it's, it's, it's hard for us to say, God, I surrender. I surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. 
But that's what true prayer is. And that's where power is released. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Abba, Father, I trust you. I want that person healed. I want that situation changed. God, please, please do it. But Abba, Father, I trust you. I know I would do that. I would do it right now. But God, I'm surrendering to the reality that you're in control. And you're in charge. And it may not be the way I want it. But I can rest assured in the fact that my God, my Father God knows more than me. Isn't that a wonderful understanding? He knows more than me. And Abba, Father, Daddy, God can be trusted. Even when the answer is no. Do you believe that? That's hard. It's a hard truth. But it's true nonetheless. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When we as God's children will humbly trust our heavenly father, we will see his power released into our situations. It may not happen in the ways in which we wanted or in the ways we thought were best, but we can rest in the reality that our Father in heaven can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. Amen? Amen. And that is my heart for Living Word Church about prayer. There's lots of things and strategies that we can try to implement and do, ideas that we may have, but I want you to know that I am committed to this reality that God can do more in five seconds than we could ever plan and strategize in five years and that we are going to be a church that seeks the Lord in prayer we're going to pray because God's word tells us to we're going to pray because it communicates a a dependent heart and we're going to pray because God's power is limitless and he can do beyond anything that we can imagine amen I want you to stand to your feet with me I was praying this morning about how I was to end this message. And, and so I, I want to do two things. I want to give an opportunity for anyone that doesn't know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord this morning, you're not a believer here. And you found your way into church. You're in the best place you could possibly be. You're around men and women who love the Lord and are here to worship him as their savior. And if you don't know him as Lord, you are disconnected from the limitless power of God to move in your situation. And Jesus died on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your guilt and your sins. And so you can have relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want to pray for you at the end of service. And when we're done praying, we'll have our pastors, we'll be down front. And if you want to make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, we want to pray for you. So when I dismiss in prayer, our pastors will be down here and we want to pray for you. But before we do that, this is what I want to do. As I was praying this morning, I was praying, how, how can we end this? How can we pray? And I just believe, I said the phrase during the prayer time. There are some of you here this morning, you are facing difficult odds. The odds are not in your favor. It's stacked against you. And you feel like, it's, I, I don't know how it's going to change. I'm in a situation, I don't know how it's going to change. And I'm desperate. If that's you, I want you to come down front and we want to pray for you as a body of believers. If that's your situation, come on down front. We want to pray for you. Anybody? 
We want to pray for you. Yes. You know what every life represents down here is, is, is people, real situations, real struggles, real pain, things that they don't have answers for. This is a very powerful moment right here. So I want you in, in, in the church, those that are in your seats, still, I want you to stretch your hands towards these people. These are your brothers and sisters, and we want to agree in prayer for them. Thank you, Jesus. God, we stretch our hands, Lord, towards these ones that are down here. God, they are in situations where their hands are up. They don't know what to do. God, they don't have an answer. And they need help. They need your intervention. And God, I just pray that you would move by your power in their situation, God. That you would move in a way that would demonstrate who you are and your love for them. God, I pray that you would move mountains. God, we pray, God, that there would be breakthrough, God. God, I pray for every relationship that is represented here down at this altar this morning. I pray that relationships would be restored. I pray that marriages would be healed. I pray that children would come back to the Lord. God, I pray, God, that you would work miracles in the lives, in the, in the bodies, the physical bodies of those that are down here, those that they're praying for. Heal, God, bring healing and miracle-working power in every situation. God, we are dependent on you. God, apart from you, we can do nothing. God, we are desperate for you. Lord, move by your power, God, we ask. We petition, we ask, we present, we lay everything at your feet. We say, God, not our will be done, but your will be done in our life. Let your will be done in our life. Lord, I speak encouragement. I pray encouragement over every person here this morning that has come down. Strengthen them. Lift their weary arms and their weary arms, God, as they are praying and seeking you. Lift their arms. Encourage them this morning. What we want to do, I I just want us to worship. The worship team is going to sing this song. I'm going to sing a couple of verses through this, and then we're going to close in prayer. Just worship the Lord with this. Please, just worship as we end here. Isn't he, isn't he beyond compare, treasure rich and rare, marvelous and holy? Isn't he, isn't he so
and live alone be glorified and praising it out and you alone be honored and adored and you alone be glorified let's keep singing that come on and you a God that we love and a God that loves us, our Heavenly Father. And God, we thank you for what you've done, what you've spoken into our lives. And I pray that every situation we've prayed about, I pray that you would move in your timing in the way that you know best. We trust you. We surrender our hearts to you today. We bless your people. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.